his hospitality. Uh, he sends his greetings. I did see him in Atlanta at General Assembly. Um, he seems to be doing well. Uh, it was a great assembly uh, on one front, just to be in the same room worshiping with that many teaching and ruling elders and other uh, parishioners. Um, it's just a reminder of, of the unity we have in Christ. And the, the singing, the, the preaching, the communion was just a sweet time. Uh, I think a lot were, were filled up. So hopefully Matthew will come back plus a vacation uh, very refreshed and energized um, to do his work here among you. So, uh, so thank you also for being a part of our, our ministry at RUF. Like uh, Stephen said, I'm the RUF pastor at Boston University, and I love getting uh, Dana Berry's emails asking what uh, can be prayed for. Uh, it's just really an encouragement even to be reminded that there are people like you uh, giving and praying about uh, all the students uh, that we minister to. Even uh, I enjoyed Tim Edelblut and I would get together for lunch. And I know he's uh, away this weekend, but um, it was great to have him down at BU uh, while he finished his master's degree. So anyway, let us uh, pray before we read our text from 2 Samuel. Pray with me. Father, we need your word to be spiritually nourished, just like every morning we need food to go about our days. We need your word to sustain us spiritually. Lord, without it, we would die. Lord, we need it this morning. We need it at all times, but we pray especially that you would be present in the preaching of your word, that from David's last words, we would see Christ. We would see the hope that filled him even long ago, and I pray that that hope would be among us this morning and give us strength to carry on throughout our lives and honoring and glorifying you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7. In my Bible, it's 275. I believe it's the same in your pew Bibles. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away. 
for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of his spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Have you ever felt that, that sickness of heart from a hope deferred? Uh, my wife and I were uh, on our way back from a vacation, and we were flying through Miami, and the flight to Miami had been delayed, and we knew that our connection was going to be very short. I think it was about 45 minutes. And if you've ever been to the Miami airport, you know that it's busy and it's big. It's massive. And so it turns out our flight had gotten in on one end of the airport and the flight that was soon departing was on the other end. And so as soon as we got off the plane, I think my, my luggage had uh, lost a wheel or something. I was carrying my luggage while we were running, literally running, uh, through the Miami airport, desperately trying to reach our flight. Eventually, our, we got so tired, our arms got tired, I think I had, my shin splints were kicking in. Uh, we we uh, hailed down one of those little carts that makes its way through the airport and beeps. Um, and, and we asked him, please, please, we're about to miss our flight, please, can you help us? It's emergency, you know, uh, I don't know if we said it's an emergency, but we need to make it to this gate by this time. And he reluctantly agrees to let us get on his cart and then we race through, and I think I'm shouting, like, let us through, let us through. We're just desperate to get to the door, to the gate, so we can make our flight back to Boston. We knew it was going to be late, and I think we were getting it at 1 a.m. And we arrive at the gate, and they had just closed the doors. And so we were already sweating, but now we were crying. <laughs> I think I immediately got on the phone trying to get another flight. I think my, my wife was just sitting down, collapsed. <laughs> and our hearts were sick. Our hope was deferred. We thought we were going to be in the Miami airport for the night. But then there was this dog that happened to be on the plane, and no one knew it was where his owner was. <laughs> Thank God for that dog, because if it wasn't for that dog, they wouldn't have delayed the flight by 15 minutes, reopened the doors, and allowed us to get on the plane. You and I can probably relate to that on so many levels. Your heart just falling when your team that was supposed to make it all the way to the championship loses in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, when you find out that your first choice of your college that you would love to go to sends you a rejection letter. Or when that job interview that you prepared for for weeks, they never give you the call back. Your heart drops. It's made sick. We probably also know the feeling when our hopes are fulfilled, our desires are fulfilled. Proverbs says it's a tree of life. It feels like we can do anything. The world is our oyster. We're optimistic about everything when our desires are fulfilled. So I'm speaking of temporal hopes 
things that we hope for, things that we desire in this life. But what about ultimate things? What about things that are beyond this life, this lifetime? Where is it that you place your hope ultimately? Where is it when you come to the end of your life that you place your hope? What will you hope in then? David, King David, is nearing the end of his life. It says these are his last words. They may not have technically been his last utterances on this earth, but they're at the very least his last public words. David, as we know, is a poet. He was a psalmist. This is a poetic prophecy. It says it's, a, it's an oracle from God. And I want to highlight three main things that we see, particularly about David's hope. What did David hope in? First, we're going to see that David's hope is learned by experiencing God's work in the past. Second, we're going to see that David's hope looks forward to the coming King Jesus in his and our future. And then third, that David's hope in his present, as he's writing these words, is rooted and grounded in the covenant promise of God. So let's start with that first point. David's hope is learned by experiencing God's work in the past. In verse 1, we read that this is an oracle. It's a prophecy. David refers to himself. He says, he's the son of Jesse, the man who was raised on high and anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, it's really important that he refers to himself as the son of Jesse. Because Jesse was not an important man. His own father was not a great man. He was from a town that was unimpressive. It was insignificant. In the tribes of Judah, the town called Bethlehem might ring a bell. Now it does. Then it didn't. He refers to himself in this way because he's reminding everyone of his humble origin. When David was anointed, it's this really great story. He was um, not even there when this great guest, Samuel, this prophet and judge, came to examine Jesse's uh, offspring, and he wanted to see which of his sons, and they all lined up to see which one would be the anointed one of God, which one would be the next king of Israel. And even David's own father didn't think he was important enough, because he was the youngest, to be among those in the array. But he was out in the fields, taking care of the family business, sheep. David was a nobody, and God anointed him king of Israel. And so in his last words, in his, his oracle, he's reminding them 
look what God did. He made me a nobody into your king. The focus is on God's work. Not how David made his way up the ranks of society. Not how David, by his own hard work and effort, just made his way to the top. No, it's God who chose him out of his free will and grace to anoint him king of Israel. There's something hopeful about this kind of story. And I want to say to you, if you are sitting here this morning and you feel like a nobody, no one remembers your name, you're not from a great family, you don't live in a great part of town, your job is not one that's important, all throughout Scripture, God uses nobodies for his kingdom purposes. It may not translate to worldly success, something that looks good on the outside, something that is uh, remarkable, but don't sell God's power short. He can use you. He is using you and me for his purposes. But the story of David's reign after he's anointed, once he becomes king, as we know, it's far from perfect. As we read through First and Second Samuel, we see that David has a weakness for women, that he has a weakness for bloodshed, and this ultimately leads to the murder of one of his own men, Uriah, so that he can take Uriah's wife Bathsheba for himself. And from this point on, after David's horrific sin, his family goes into chaos. His own son, Absalom, creates a conspiracy and tries to, by, by a coup, take over David's kingdom. His own son. There's more sexual sin. There's more bloodshed in his own family. Things did not go well in the latter half of David's reign and of David's life. And friends, this makes the content of this text this morning that much more incredible. I think if I were David and if I were nearing the end of my life and I were writing, say, my, my memoirs, I'd be navel-gazing, I'd be depressed, I'd be you know, thinking of all the hard stuff that had come during my reign. I would by probably be saying, I, I, I could have done that. I should have done that. What if things had been different? You might think, if you read through David's life, that he would be depressed. How far he had come, and then how much further he had fallen. But David instead sets his eyes on God and what God had done. And he learns from thinking back on what God did in his life to hope in him. Is hope something that you would say is a part of your life today?
Do you have hope? Uh, Does the future bring fear, maybe more than optimism or, or positive thoughts about the future? One way we can learn to hope in God is by considering your past, your own story, how God has, though you were an enemy, made you his child. If you're a Christian, we each have that story. If God did that, if that's the character of the God we serve, then he is worth hoping in. And if he has worked in our past to answer prayers that we prayed, if he has worked to bring about uh, new churches, bring about new believers, then why would he not work again? Why would he not bring those who are his enemies into his family? God can and will do what he says he will do. It's learned. That's how Christian hope is learned, by remembering what God has done in our past. But hope is by nature future-oriented. We can learn to hope because of how we look at our past and see God at work, but it's future-oriented. We want to see something in the future. The whole story uh, that the Bible tells from Genesis to Revelation uh, is not this ancient artifact kind of story that we just kind of, oh, isn't that quaint and interesting? No, it's a story that God tells that is still underway. You and I are in it. We are a part of it. And David, though he was uh, many, many, many years ago, many, many thousands of years ago, hoping in Christ, this coming king, we too should set our eyes on the coming kingdom of Christ. David says that he's setting his eyes on a coming king, one that would rule justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. We all want that. We all want a good king, a good president, a good governor, a good mayor, a good CEO. And integrity, unfortunately, all too often seems to be lacking in those in the highest seats of power. But this is not what David's thinking about. He's not just thinking about, oh, well, maybe my son will be a better king than I. Or maybe his son, or my my, my great-great-great-great-grandson will be a better king. Maybe one day there will be a king who actually rules justly. That's not his thought. He is thinking far further. He has a vision of not a human king, but King Jesus. He resorts to poetic metaphor to describe this. It's not something that you can use. Um, it's not, this, this king is not similar to any human king, so we have to resort to, to poetry. And what does he say? He says it's like springtime. It's like the sun rising 
on a cloudless morning. It's like rain falling and making the grass grow. Spring has always been uh, my favorite holiday. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Now that I'm in Boston, I've uh, persevered through seven Boston winters. Uh, it's still my favorite holiday uh, because it is the transition from winter to summer. There's a lot of hope that I think naturally comes when spring comes. You see, you see the ground that used to be frozen maybe one week, and then the next week it's green with grass and there are daffodils sprouting out. It's an amazing thing. It brings hope. It's all about new life, new life, new beginnings. And in some ways you feel like a, like a kid again. There's optimism. That's what Jesus' reign is going to be like. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a room and the lights aren't on and you're there maybe reading or doing something and the sun is going down and you don't even realize it's really dark and then someone turns on the lights and you're just like, whoa, I didn't even know the lights weren't on, but now I can see. Jesus is the light of the world. And when he comes, it will be like that. He will come into darkness. And there will be light. And it will be the light of life, as he says. Jesus, as it says in Revelation, is the morning star. Jesus is the risen Lord who will come on the clouds. This is who we are to hope in. This is the coming king that David hopes in. I remember a few times as a young child being, being in tears. I think, you know, maybe busting up a knee or having a fight, just being in tears, probably on the ground, needing some comfort. I remember my dad coming to me, and after, you know, taking care of whatever wound I had, and I'd be still crying, he would, he would make a joke. And it seemed like an odd time to make a joke, but in the midst of my tears and scowl, it would break into a smile, and slowly I'd start to laugh. Has that ever happened to you? It's a remarkable thing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an odd, unusual thing at the same time. You know, how can my tears turn into laughter? How can my mourning turn into dancing? Because of Jesus. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. I know each of us have reasons to mourn in this room, reasons to cry. And maybe in the depth of that sorrow and the depth of that sadness, it's impossible to think about ever smiling or laughing again, to ever having fun again, maybe. When Jesus comes back, there will be laughter. There will be smiling. He will wipe every tear from our eyes, he says. That gives me hope. 
all the pain, the sorrow, the unmet expectations, the unrealized ideals, the unfulfilled dreams, Jesus and his kingdom will exceed far beyond what we can imagine. But how do we know this? How can I be sure? Maybe this still feels like a a vague dream to you. It feels a little too (laughs) revelation-y to you. How do we know this is real? How can we be sure? How can we be confident? How can you give me right now where I'm sitting hope and confidence that this is actually going to happen, that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reign and it's going to be incredible? Well, David's hope and ours too should be rooted in the covenant promises of God. David's hope is not optimistic, wishful thinking. It is hope grounded and rooted in the most solid thing of all, God himself. God's word is not like our word. We say we're going to do something, we end up not doing it. (laughs) When God promises something, it's as good as done. It will happen no matter what. God makes promises like this at times in Scripture, and he made one that's very significant in 2 Samuel 7, saying that David's dynasty, that from David there will be an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that will have no end. And David refers back to that promise that covenant that God himself made with David. And it means not something just for him, but it means something, and it meant something then for the Israelites, all of Israel. They would be ruled by that king, and that kingdom would never end. Covenants in Scripture often have this attribute. They have a list of blessings and they have a list of curses. And while our text this morning isn't formally one of those covenants, it does remind us of those blessings and those curses. The blessing, it says, that this promise will fulfill all his needs and desires. Which also means all our needs and desires will be met in this promise. But it also has a curse, the last few verses. Curses on those worthless men, those who have given themselves to worthlessness. And God has words for them as well. They will be punished with certain and strong force, again using a metaphor, like a farmer destroys thorns in a fire so God will destroy his enemies, those who have not turned to Christ for their salvation. They will get what they deserve. This is a sobering truth. It's a truth that Jesus himself reminds people in his earshot of several times. 
that the fires of hell are waiting for those who don't turn and trust in him. But if you are in earshot of that news, it means you're still alive. And if you're still alive, there's still hope. Maybe those words shock you. Maybe they are uh, troubling to you. There's still hope for you. David was a man who at times, because of his actions, could be called worthless. He did things that were far uncomfortably similar to those men who were worthless. And yet God forgave. David repented, he confessed, and God forgave. He bestowed grace, undeserved favor on him again and again. And friends, that that grace, that good news, is good news for us today. We can return time and time again to that tree of life that fountain of hope, Jesus. It is because Jesus himself entered into that curse. He took on that curse of the covenant on our behalf. And it's because of him that we can live under his reign forever. Is this your God? Is this the king that you're waiting for? Is your trust in things in this life? Or is your trust in something that extends throughout eternity? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, the good king, the one who will rule justly over men. Is your heart sick with hopes deferred? Perhaps you've traded the ultimate hope in the coming kingdom of God for temporal hope. That hope is shaky. It will fall. Your heart will be sick again. But the kingdom of God is certain. We know that because it's grounded in his word. His unchanging word that tells us of his unchanging love for us. Hope in Christ, and you will see him on that day when he comes to reign forever like a morning light, like sun shining on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. As surely as these things happen in creation, after every winter, before every summer, as surely as those things happen, and as surely as his word is good, so it will be with Christ in his kingdom. This is good news. This is reason to hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're encouraged by the words of David that he spoke as a mouthpiece for you. Uh, that even in the latter years of his life, after so many bad things 
had happened to him and after he had done so many bad things that he found hope, forgiveness, grace, and Christ, his good and true king who will reign forever. Lord, fill us with that hope by your spirit. We need encouragement from our brothers and sisters. We need encouragement from your word. We need your supper to nourish us and to fill us with hope that will not disappoint. We pray this in Jesus, our King's name. Amen. We come now to this table where we are nourished.